Thanksgiving Day, Sunday. One of the reasons we can be grateful is that Christmas is just about a month away. Isn't that exciting? Especially the boys and girls. One of my favorite events around Christmas is the televising of Dickens' Christmas Carol. That story of Ebenezer Scrooge, the miser who through a series of nighttime visitations learns the value of generosity. And one of my favorite scenes is that one after the nighttime of visitations when he goes to the window and throws it open and there's a young boy outside and he asks the young boy to go down around the corner to the market and bring home the biggest goose they have there. And the little boy recognizes who it is that is talking with him and his eyes get big and he even offers a tip to the little boy and he runs off with excitement because of the generosity of this man who had been a miser. His whole life changes when he understands the importance of being generous. For the first time, perhaps, he experiences joy. It is possible to give, though, without being generous, isn't it? It's possible to give and Instead of being happy about it, be absolutely miserable. Ask the little boy who is asked to share his candy bar with his sister. He gives, but he's miserable. Or ask the taxpayer who sends off his check on April the 15th. He gives, but it's not with a great deal of delight. Or perhaps ask the company employee who must reduce his benefits in order for the company to survive, as has happened in our area in recent days. He gives back, but there's not a great deal of happiness in it. Joy, you see, depends upon one's attitude about what is given away. The attitude that the Bible talks about in connection with our giving is the attitude of generosity. When we learn to be generous we will learn to be happy. Our text today in Proverbs chapter 11 deals with the way that we give. You know, the Bible has a great deal to say about money and our attitude toward it and about our attitude about giving. In Proverbs 11 verse 24 we read, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. One's attitude toward giving and his practice of giving measures his spiritual growth. And it also determines his future blessings by the grace of God. We show what we are by what we do with what we have. In the text that is before us today from the book of Proverbs, we see two principles. They are contrasting principles. The first one is that the generous giver will enjoy prosperity. The second principle is that the greedy keeper will endure poverty. Let's think about those principles this morning. The first thing we have to do, though, is to define prosperity in that first principle. The generous giver will enjoy prosperity. 
Prosperity does not necessarily mean material things. Sometimes it means things that are better. For example, spiritual riches, or rewards of character, or the pleasure of God. God's smile is much more prosperity than mere finances. In the latter part of the 17th century, there was a German preacher by the name of August Frank, who founded an orphanage to help homeless children. He desperately needed funds to carry on his own ministry. But one day, a destitute Christian widow came to his door, begging for some money. Because of his own financial straits, he did not feel that he could give her anything. Disheartened, she began to weep. Pastor Frank was moved by her tears and asked her to wait at the door while he went to his room to pray. After seeking the guidance of God, he returned to the door with the gold coin, the one gold coin that he had, and he gave it to her, trusting the Lord then to meet his own needs. It was two mornings later that the widow returned with a letter of thanks. She explained to him in the letter that because of his generosity, she had asked the Lord to shower the orphanage with gifts. It was that same day that Pastor Frank received in the mail twelve times, over twelve times as much as he had given to that widow lady. The generous giver will enjoy prosperity. It doesn't always mean material prosperity. But it doesn't rule out material prosperity either. Now in saying that, I am not proclaiming this morning a prosperity gospel. There are people today who are teaching a false gospel that God always wants his people to be healthy and wealthy. Actually, the New Testament comes much closer to teaching a gospel of adversity than prosperity. But the fact is that God does choose at times to reward generous givers even with material prosperity. Now I recognize that these verses are from the Old Testament that we look at this morning, that they are promises focused upon Israel. I recognize that obedience in Israel resulted in material blessings. That was the promise of God. I also realize that these promises were part of a specific historical covenant with Israel. I further recognize that the New Testament emphasis is different than the Old Testament. The New Testament emphasizes the future, not the here and now. The New Testament emphasizes the heavenly, not the earthly. The New Testament emphasizes the spiritual and not the material. I know all of that. But I'm also aware of the fact that this principle, this general principle, is still true that the generous giver will enjoy prosperity. We see that even in the New Testament. For example, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke and the words of Jesus in the sixth chapter. 
where the larger context actually is that of finances. And Jesus says to us, Give, this is verse 38 of Luke 6, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus says if you get a quarter of a cup and you use that to measure out your giving, then that which is returned to you will will be with a quarter of a cup. But if you get a five-gallon bucket and you use that to measure out to others, that which is returned to you will be returned in five-gallon buckets. Jesus says, give, and it will be given to you. I recognize that that means more than finances, but who are we to rule it out, especially when that's in the broader context of this chapter? When you and I give, and give generously, God promises to meet our needs, and His smile will be upon our lives. Is that not prosperity? Turn with me to... First Corinthians, excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter 9, where we'll begin with the first verse. And the paragraph is a bit longer, but I, I urge you to follow with me in your copy of the Bible as we read these words. Second Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says, There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints. He's talking about an offering that the people in Corinth had promised to give many months before this toward the needs of the suffering believers in Jerusalem. Paul says, there's no need for me to write to you about this, for I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. Paul is saying, I have bragged about you and your willingness to give generously to these people that I'm ministering to now. And because they saw your example, many of them decided to follow it. He goes on to say, but I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this manner should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift and not as one grudgingly given. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, You will abound in every good work. As it is written, He has scattered abroad His gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food 
will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Don't miss what he says in his paragraph. He is saying that when you and I give generously to God, when we give with a cheerful and joyful heart, God commits himself to meet our needs. And will increase our ability to give for two reasons. For the glory of God and so that there will be an increase in what he calls the harvest of our righteousness. These are wonderful promises, not from the Old Testament, from the New Testament, about God's faithfulness to those who give generously. The generous giver will enjoy prosperity. Proverbs 29, 22, verse 9 says, A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. This builds on another principle found in Proverbs, the third chapter, and I would like you to turn back there with me. For in Proverbs 3, verse 9, we have this principle regarding our money. He says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. How do we do that? With the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Yes, I know, this is Israel. But is there not a principle that supersedes time and dispensations? I think there is. He says that we are to honor the Lord by bringing to Him the first fruits of our increase. Here it's in agricultural terms. What is the first fruits? What does that mean? Well, that's Old Testament language for the tithe. The giving of the 10% off the top of our increase to God. That's how we honor the Lord with our finances. Randy Alcorn, in his very fine book entitled Money, Possessions, and Eternity, writes, Tithing is intended to train us to put God first in our lives. Because the giving of the 10% represents the other 90%, tithing symbolizes the giving of our whole lives to God. Tithing gives us perspective. It reminds us that all we are and all we have is from another, a higher one. It is a tribute we pay to God. Tithing is not some token or tip for good service, mindlessly thrown down on the table after a meal, but a meaningful, symbolic expression of our dependence upon the Lord and our gratitude to Him for all that He is and all that He's given us. He goes on to say, As we have seen, the people of Israel's per capita payment of tithes amounted to 23% of their income, Yet Christianity Today reports that the per capita giving of church members in America is approximately 2.5% of their income. This is a revealing statistic, he writes, in that it demonstrates apparently that the law was ten times more effective than grace. Or to put it another way, when it comes to giving, people were ten times more responsive to the law of Moses than they appear to be to the grace of Christ. Obviously, something is terribly wrong 
when we as New Testament believers, especially those living in a far more affluent society than ancient Israel, give at a level that is only a small fraction of that of the Old Testament believers, we must take a careful look at our concept of grace giving. To most people, the term grace giving simply means give what you feel like. The problem is most Christians apparently just don't feel like giving. The principle of God's word is that we bring the first fruits to God. And God promises that he will bless us. And our giving is beyond that. The gifts in the Old Testament language were what were brought to God beyond the tithe. God promises to bless the generous giver. He compares the generous giver to a farmer. He says the farmer who sows sparingly will so reap. And the farmer who sows abundantly and richly will reap in the same manner. The hand that gives is the hand that gathers. You and I really are not giving to God until we enjoy it. The generous giver will enjoy prosperity by God's goodness and grace. The second principle that he gives us in our text in Proverbs 11 is more sobering than the first. For it says that the greedy keeper will endure poverty. Now again, this is a general principle. All of us know exceptions because we are aware of wealthy misers. And once again, we must define the terms here more broadly than just material things. Poverty here embraces not only poverty of riches, but the poverty of soul, the shriveling of soul that comes from miserliness. It embraces the nagging of fear that many have that they're going to lose what they're keeping and hoarding. Poverty refers to a miserable life. Have you ever noticed that the first five letters of the word miserable spelled miser. There's a reason for that. An article in a San Francisco newspaper reported that a young man once found five dollars on the street. And having found it, he resolved that from that time onward, he would never lift his eyes from the street while he was walking. The paper went on to say that over the years, he accumulated, among other things, 29,516 buttons, 54,172 pins, 12 cents, a bent back, and a miserly disposition. But he also lost something, the paper said. The glory of the sunlight, the radiance of the stars, the smiles of his friends, and the freshness of the blue skies. When we walk through life looking down for what we can get out of it, we are the losers. The greedy keeper will endure poverty. That's why Jesus warned in Luke 12, verse 15, Watch out! Be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Greed is the opposite of generosity. Generosity is giving unselfishly, 
Greed is keeping for oneself. Greed knows no point when it says, I am satisfied. That's illustrated in the story of a man who was godly, who had very few possessions, but who enjoyed the friendship of a man who was a millionaire. His friend, the millionaire, was consumed with gathering wealth and had little time to attend to the needs of others or even to the needs of his own soul. On one occasion, the joyful Christian said to him, You know, Bob, I'm richer than you are. I have as much money as I want, and you don't. There's something to be said there. Greed knows no limitations. Greed is a natural expression of our human nature apart from God. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want you to notice a list of things. And I want you to notice what accompanies greed in this text. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards or slanderers or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of us are very keen at pointing to certain parts of that list and saying, look what is not in the kingdom of God. I say to you, look what else is not in the kingdom of God. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Verse 5. Writing to believers, the apostle says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust. Of course, we know those things don't belong as a part of a Christian's experience. Evil desires and greed, he says which is idolatry. Do you notice those last three words? Greed is the New Testament equivalent to idolatry. We can point our fingers at others who have idols in their churches or in their temples, but we must examine our own heart for the idol that is most common of all. The idol of greed. The greedy keeper will endure poverty. Greed is not only a natural part of the human sinful nature and brings God's judgment. It is a cause, too, of relational problems. Proverbs 28, verse 25 says, A greedy man stirs up dissension. James builds on that in James chapter 4, and he says, What is the source of the strife the dissension and the wars among you. He goes on to say, Is it not greed and envy and jealousy? Greed guarantees eventual loss. Proverbs 28 verse 22 says, A stingy man is eager to get rich and is unaware that poverty awaits him. 
There's nothing that feeds greed more in our society than gambling. Gambling is an evidence of greed in a person's life. Wanting something for nothing. Wanting to gain at the loss of others. A man who gives himself to that is a stingy man. Eager to get rich and is unaware that poverty awaits him. You mark it down. The greedy keeper will endure poverty. How we feel about giving and how we practice it measures what we are spiritually. And it also determines our blessings. When we give generously, it brings us joy. Why is that? Let me suggest two reasons why generous giving brings joy. In the first place, it pleases God. And whenever we do what pleases God, the Holy Spirit fills our life with His fruit, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and so on. Generous giving pleases God, therefore it will naturally produce joy in our lives. Secondly, it produces joy because of what it benefits to us. You say, wait a minute, that sounds selfish. It may sound that way, but the Bible talks about it. One of the reasons you and I can enjoy being generous is because in the end it comes back to us. Do you believe that? I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Have you ever had an experience where a verse just seemed to appear in the text? It's been there all along, but suddenly you've seen it. You say, where has that been? I had that experience this week. In looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6. It begins in verse 17 by saying, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Now immediately most of us say, well, that doesn't include me. I'm not rich. Notice he doesn't say rich in this church. He says in this present world, if you compare yourself, my friend, to the world today, you are fabulously wealthy. Fabulously wealthy. The poorest among us. Someone who is actually on welfare among us is fabulously wealthy compared to the rest of the world. Most of the rest of the world. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Now verse 19 is what just appeared in my text, in my eyes. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. One of the reasons that generous giving produces joy is because of what it brings back to us. Not merely in this life, but in what he calls here the coming age. Some of us get all excited about getting ready for retirement. And we ought to prepare for retirement. We ought to lay up for that period in our lives when we no longer are employed full time. 
That's being a good steward. We get excited about laying up for retirement. Some of us who are in the baby boomer age wonder if there's going to be anything left when we get there to retire. But we ought to prepare nonetheless. This verse goes beyond that. He says, if you don't prepare for what comes after retirement, you're in trouble. What's that, the coming age? The coming age, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we lay a foundation for what is coming in the kingdom? He tells us, be rich in good deeds. Be generous and willing to share. The generous giver enjoys happiness and prosperity. Not just in this age, but in the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. There's no better time to honestly examine our attitude and our practice about giving than today. There's no better time to bring into alignment with God's word and God's principles than today. The story is told in a legend about some farmers who decided when they harvested their potatoes that instead of planting the big ones and eating the small ones, they would reverse that. The big ones look much better. And so they decided to eat the big ones and to keep the small potatoes for the coming season. And they did that. And the next year they did the same thing. And the year after that, they did the same thing. And several years down the road, they began to realize that their potatoes each year were getting smaller and smaller and smaller until finally they came in the size of marbles. Now, why was that? Because they kept for themselves the biggest and the best, decided to plant the smallest, and the result of that was their own poverty. We can enjoy we can enjoy being generous in our giving. Because God never shortchanges a person who gives like he gives. Let's pray. Where does this message today strike your heart? What is the Holy Spirit saying regarding your attitude about giving, your practice of giving? Our study of Proverbs is very practical. It addresses the real issues of life. And one of the real issues of life is our giving. The generous giver enjoys prosperity. The greedy keeper certainly faces poverty of soul, at least. What do you need to tell the Lord? What commitment do you need to make today to be obedient to His Word in your life? God, help us to be not just hearers of the Word, but doers, so that we can enter into the blessing that He wants to bring to our lives. Father, I give thanks to You in Jesus' name. For the joy that comes by your promise to generous givers. 
There are many in this auditorium who understand exactly what that joy means. But there are others who have not yet entered into that joy. Oh, that by your Spirit you would move their hearts to be responsive and positive and obedient. Oh, that they might experience the joy you want them to know. Father, all of us struggle with greed. Deliver us from being misers and keeping for ourselves. Teach us what it means to lay up for the coming kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.